Welcome to the Not Just Any Cancer podcast with me, Catherine Bouvier. Good morning and today I am coming to you from London and I'm here um, ready to go in and meet some of the team members at King's College Hospital, uh, which is a European neuroendocrine centre of excellence. And not only am I going to be speaking to some of those team members, including um, the lead of that service, uh, the histopathologist, uh, one of the nurses, the surgeon, uh, the oncologist, um, but also to sit in on the multidisciplinary team meeting itself, where they'll be reviewing 25 patients today. Um, obviously, many of you know my background is as a neuroendocrine specialist nurse, and I, I have sat in a number of multidisciplinary team meetings where I used to work, but you know, that was 15 years ago, and I'm, I'm sure there has been um, a lot of change. But what hasn't changed and is has what has in fact just developed is the absolute necessity for a multidisciplinary team to be looking after patients and to be making those decisions collectively um, with that room full of expertise. Um, and it really is so important. Um, and we believe it's so important that, that all patients really get reviewed at least, or at least their their data, their scans, their bloods, etc., get reviewed by this expert um, multidisciplinary team, just really to ensure that that everybody gets onto the right path um, and onto the right treatment plan for them. So uh, off I go. So here I am with Dr. Sri Raja Scanthan um, at King's College Hospital. Um, and thank you so much indeed for taking the time uh, to see me today. You are the lead for the, the neuroendocrine MDT here. And I guess my first question to you is, how, how did you get into the neuroendocrine cancer world? Thank you, Kathy. And thank you for inviting me to participate in this. Um, so I um, initially got involved with neuroendocrine tumours back in 2006, um, when I, I applied for a job as a research fellow uh, with Martin Kaplan at the Royal Free Hospital and did a two-year um, MD at that time. Um, and I found urinary tumours to be quite a fascinating um, disease, but also it was rather unique in, in the field of cancer because you could develop really close rapport um, and, and with patients because yeah. of the longevity of the disease. Long relationships. You do get to know people very well, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the team was very good, and, and it was quite a niche area. Um, so all those things um, were quite um, appealing to me. Um, and then I um, finished my training back in um, at King's and Lewisham. And then um, when I became a consultant, I, I started working in the neurotrine tumour clinic with John Ramage uh, back oh, in 2011. Yeah. Um, and now I've been here 10 years. So <laughs> time has gone. God, it has since those days that they're all free, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the King's MDT, I mean, how long has that been running? So that started in 98. Uh, it started with... Uh, as, a, as a specialist neuroendocrine yeah, one? Okay, yeah, the specialist so. MDT with John Ramage under the auspices of Roger Williams back in, in the day. 
Um, it was a very small MDT originally, um, a very few patients, and then it's grown um, significantly um, over the years. Now, as, as you'll see this afternoon, it's a two-hour-long kind of MDT with a, a large number of patients to be discussed. Um, and that's held every week? It's held every week, yeah. Um, and we have excellent attendance from um, our colleagues from nuclear medicine, radiology, surgery, let's um, CNS's histopathology as well. Um, so we're very fortunate to have, um, you know, a lot of consultants and, and kind of health professionals that are all very interested in that and very um, passionate about it. Yeah, you need that passion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we all seem to have been around for quite a long time, and I guess it's that that passion that keeps us here. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we'll we'll get everything sorted um, by the time we all we all retire. Exactly. Um, but I know you're a gastroenterologist by trade, right? Yeah. So do you have to do that as well as your neuroendocrine stuff as well? Yes. Yeah. So um, fully fledged gastroenterologist. I'm the clinical lead for gastroenterology at Kings as well, as running that service and. I do bowel cancer screening as kind of my main endoscopy focus, so um, so I do a, a day a week of that as well. Um, and like I, I find those two, I think gastroenterology marries up beautifully with neuroendocrine tumours mm. because there's a big overlap between the the GI symptoms linked to NET and also um, a lot of the NETs are identified at endoscopy as well, and so it, it works quite well um, from that perspective. And also, I guess, being able to provide sort of gastroenterology advice to mm-hmm. patients. I mean, a lot of the sort of abdominal problems and GI problems are, mm-hmm. are some of the biggest effects on quality of life for our community. So okay. it must be quite nice to have that, I guess, that knowledge base and be able to support that as well. Yeah, and I think that's one of the... We're very fortunate here because I, I do a lot of the GI side... Um, Sarah Brown, who's my other colleague, is a hepatologist in training and does NET, so she can offer a lot of advice about the hepatological consequences and uh, HPB, so hepatobiliary um, consequences as well. So, um, you know, we complement each other's expertise. Um, and that's liver. And that's liver, sorry. Yeah, liver, <laughs> liver. No big uh, words. No, no. Big, yeah, so liver, sorry. <laughs> Slap wrist. <laughs> no, no, those acronyms are allowed. Or, yeah, the big words that you just think, oh, I've got to remember what that is. Um, it's really important to have a specialist neuroendocrine MDT. We believe in it really passionately. We believe that patients should be all referred into a specialist MDT. We believe that everybody should have access to the same kind of care. Um, I mean, the role of the expert MDT is is not just providing, I suppose, treatment decisions, but also providing sort of pathways for referral centres and and sort of a hub and spoke model as well. Yes, I think we've um, always opted for that hub and spoke approach. Um, and it links across well with the kind of uh, HBB cancer services as well, which run on a similar um, pathway. Um, and we're very fortunate that a lot of our kind of affiliated centres and um, referring hospitals have got very uh, dedicated and diligent uh, um, teams there that look after the net patients as well. So we have, you know, really good colleagues, um, Justin Walters and Mark Hill in Kent and Dr. Young in um, St. George's and John Ramage in Basingstoke. So we're very fortunate that across the, the area we've got a lot of people that we can work really well with. Um, 
and we have open lines of communication both from the CNSs and the clinician side. So we hope to um, enable you know seamless care for patients to be delivered by doing that, um, and that way you can cover a large geographical area, mm. a large population, but uh, manage you know to to offer excellent care. You don't. I imagine you don't physically see all of the patients that are referred into the MDT. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think we see about seventy percent of the okay. day, of the new referrals that come in. So they'll uh, come into a clinic appointment. Yeah, um, and then thirty um, percent will be won't need over any further treatment. So there would have been, for example, an appendiceal that may have been cured with just appendicectomy. So won't necessarily need to see us. Um, and others will be able to be managed locally. Um, and then a lot of the follow-up patients, we can, um, again, um, if there's no recurrence, and we've got a, a known link or liaison person that can help us with scans and, and surveillance, and they'll stay kind of managed locally. Yeah, I mean, it's nice not to have to travel, isn't it? But it's yeah. also really important that you have the confidence. And I think that's how I would feel, that someone yeah. expert had, had looked at my case and has decided that whatever was happening locally was the right thing mm-hmm. and that they'd fed into that. When we do hear a lot of patients saying that their case has been reviewed by an MDT or the doctors told them that, um, I'm not sure they always believe that that's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess there's a, a, you know, one of the questions from our community was about, you know, whether patients should know whether they're going into a multidisciplinary team or not uh, Mm -hmm. meeting so that Mm -hmm. they could be aware that that was happening and, you know, how they should receive their results. I mean, how how do you just give results in clinic or do you send those reports back to the referring, you know, doctor um, and hope that they'll share that with the patients? Because I presume a patient doesn't get like a written letter like they do in clinic. No, no, they they don't with those. I think... So I think one of the things we, we've spoken about was that I think we both feel that it's really important that I think all patients diagnosed with that do get discussed in a in that MDT yeah. at least once, um, just just for that kind of reassurance, both for the patient, the referrer, and, and you know ongoing management, um, and those with you know ongoing disease, I think they should be linked into one of those services. Um, in terms of the MDT itself, I think. Um, when we, you'll see today, when we have the MDT, we, we look at the outcomes afterwards and we kind of, you know, um, check on the outcomes and, and the options are kind of threefold. So if we're due to see the patient quite soon, then we may well talk about the MDT outcome in the clinic, which will usually be the following week or yeah. so. If it's someone who, for example, had external images which were reviewed and it's just to say there was no evidence of recurrence, then one of the CNSs will often just ring just to let those patients know that they were discussed and, and there was you know no, no ongoing concerns and then there'll be a few cases whereby for example inpatients in other hospitals will you know directly contact them with the outcomes so that they can help kind of ongoing management um, and those are usually the three kind of routes um, I think the idea of letting patients know in advance that they're going to be discussing MDT we do for some cases especially new cases but I think if you're doing it for a lot of the patients it may add extra anxiety because a bit it, like scanxiety thing, yeah, 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 a bit like scanxiety. You know, we, you know, when you speak to patients, a lot of them say that that window between the scan to the appointment to knowing just they're uneasy it's and it's stressful. God, yeah, no, I can, yeah, I, I can see that, but I think there might, yeah, I mean, it's difficult because I think there are some patients that feel that it would be nice to know, mm. um, but I guess it's also difficult to get it right for every 
for every person isn't yeah. it you know one size doesn't fit all which yeah, yeah. which we know is uh, which is one of our biggest issues isn't it um so we 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 both agree that all patients should have a review by an expert mdt mm-hmm. so that could be their scans their case mm-hmm. their pathology whatever when they're newly diagnosed um and certainly you know you know that we're trying to develop this standardized care pathway optimal care pathway we don't even know what's going to be called yet um which we hope will be complete in in 10 months time and that we will either get nice or nhs england to endorse or use or you know make sure gets fed into kind of the cancer pathways which is the important thing really because you know it has been classified as as cancers Mm -hmm. i know there's a huge spectrum from the indolent across to the more aggressive but you know that's still how they've been classified by the who Mm. so i guess we just want to make sure we don't get left out in the dark you know Mm -hmm. because we're the sort of the rarer cancer but i mean if you're not at a specialist center i mean someone has asked can your case still be reviewed by a specialist mdt and you're saying yes as long as that doctor feeds that in Mm -hmm. I mean, that's yeah. utilising what the MDT coordinator, or they yeah. email you directly, or how um, does that both, normally happen? I mean, I think um, there are three, three main routes, um, actually four. So one is the, the, local, te- the local team will refer in, um, and we, you know, our, our website is there, our email address is available. Um, and so that's the most common route. Sometimes we get direct referrals in um, to myself or to another member of the team, um, just asking for an opinion and then we can link them into the MDM um, sometimes patients want an opinion, a second opinion so they'll go to their GP who will then refer them on to us for a review as well which we you know, get a number of those um, and then the fourth one um, which is a slightly more difficult one is if we, we do sometimes get patients asking for a, a, a review but obviously without any of the other supporting information that can be more difficult to facilitate so like a um, second opinion yeah think, which we right. normally recommend that they do via a, a GP just as a, a rather than come you know um, can't really accept a patient contacting us for a direct opinion no um, we don't have self-referral processes do we well we don't in the NHS Not at all NHS, really do we no. what do you think about that as an idea I think I think in a way it may help, um, but it could also be open to abuse and, mm. and, and misuse. And I think um, you could have some people utilising five or six different services if there, if there was that option. Whilst at least if it's via the GP, then you, they will have a good overview of number of different places that are certain cases or yeah. individuals being discussed. And I guess in. some of the patient history as well, which is important. Yeah. So knowing the right person to yeah. go to, yeah. which sometimes you don't, do yeah. you? And, um, I think I, I sort of let you know this beforehand, but, you know, we sort of reached out to the community just to ask if they had any, some of the mm-hmm. sort of any questions. Um, and I think we've covered some of them, um, which is about, you know, uh, patients being known mm-hmm. but being told whether they're going to be reviewed by by an mdt um and then there was a uh, one that that came in uh yesterday asking like how you prioritize the patients allocated to an mdt review v- review meeting for example if you have a scan and the patient review appointment is two weeks later would that patient be prioritized for review to an mdt before the review clinic if the scan appeared unremarkable would prioritization for mdt be low and perhaps not be reviewed mdt um it kind of goes on a little bit and you know if they're under watch and wait and um as an example a patient's been on watch and wait for seven to eight years on 12 month scans 
would the review of those scans be prioritised for MDT review every year? So I, I mean, that's a really good question, mm. I think. So so when do a, does a patient need to go into an MDT? I get initial diagnosis, mm. of course, at progression. Yeah. When, um, when else would a patient go? I mean, that watch, you know, that watch and wait, I don't like that, but, you know, the active surveillance yeah. idea. But so when, when does that happen? So I think... Um, that's a brilliant question. So in an ideal world, you'd want to kind of regularly review all of your, what we call active patients, or patients that are under your active follow-up and care, at least once, you know, um, every one pa- every patient, you know, once a year. I, mean, yeah. I think Enets originally wanted that kind of level of um, cover. But, you know, for example, at King's, we have um, uh, 1,200 um, plus patients. And so therefore, it, to do that would be very difficult with all the new referrals, with the new in referrals as, well. as well so i think what we generally do is obviously um, if someone's a new diagnosis we'll try and list them within a week for discussion um, which can be really logistically quite challenging um, paulicia has to kind of get hold of the tissue the images and clinical details you know all of that type of stuff to create that discussion within a week which is a short window yeah, but that's a that's a great aspiration, though, and I think really mm. nice for the community to know mm. that you would try and get them in that quickly. Yeah, so we do that because that's a horrible time yeah. too, isn't it? You know, that's when you it. think something's wrong or you know something's wrong and you don't know what to do next. No, um, and we know that often by the time patients referred to the NetMDT, they've already been quite a long way through their pathway, mm. and there may have been you know two to three months already of investigations at that point. So we try and. expedite that component of it Um, for patients who for example have had you know a resection and there's no evidence of any active disease who are on surveillance scans I think if they're done internally with ourselves and we're happy and and we're reviewing the patients and we wouldn't necessarily put them in the MDM routinely okay I think for a lot of the external films we do review those in the MDT so if patients are having their follow-up scans done locally just for our own reassurance, we often do review those just to see um, okay. if they are, um, if we agree with kind of local reports. Um, and then the, the, a lot of the discuss- a lot of the MDT referrals are actually more about w- whether or not we need to do something to change management. So a lot of them have to have a purpose. So the MDT, the purpose of an MDT discussion is so that you can create, identify if a change in management needs to be undertaken. So like you said, okay. it'll be progressive disease, new diagnosis, someone exiting surveillance altogether, you know, okay. those kind what of things. symptoms? So say I turned, Absolutely. that would yeah, be yeah. once, yeah, yeah. and if so, I came yeah. to you saying that, you know, my fatigue had increased, my mm. pain had increased, yeah. I just wasn't I mean, feeling more, right. Yeah, so for those ones, we'd most likely review you in clinic, yeah. maybe update the scans and the blood tests and biomarkers, um, and then um, if... If we weren't sure, then we'd put them through uh, the MDT just to make, you know, double check that nothing was, was changing and uh, we weren't seeing. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay, but you, your aspiration would be to, to do for all patients at least once a year if yeah. you have the infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. Something to work towards. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Got to find you some money first. Um, and then um, I thought this was, a you know, an interesting question. It's like, how do you view the person with a net or a neck um, in respect to the MDT? Do you regard them as a passive recipient of care or of an active participant in their own health? Um, And is there value in increasing individual participation in their healthcare team and its decisions? Um, 
in, interestingly, I'm, I'm talking at Enets just about mm-hmm. patient involvement in treatment decisions, and and I've seen some really interesting situations where patients have been involved in the treatment decisions and, and feel a great sense of um, empowerment of of really understanding what what's happening to mm-hmm. them. Obviously, but that's very based based on kind of treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be a clinic discussion, I guess. But I, I guess this is relating more to to the MDT. But I suppose it must feel a bit passive because they're not there naturally. Mm-hmm. That might be a perception, but um, I don't know. I, I don't know what you feel about you know the question saying you know is is the value in increasing that participation so i think for new patients i think you're right because we haven't necessarily met them by the time they're, they're, their first mdt discussions often without us having eyeballed as you say you know seeing, yeah, yeah, seeing yeah. individuals so you are basing it on on factual information the referral plus the imaging and 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 things like that I think for the patients we've been looking after for a while, I think it's much more active involvement, actually. Because a lot of the time, changes in treatment pathway, evidence of progression, will actually be a, a joint discussion, especially you know, when to have a step change in treatment, yeah. what are their wishes. And you would have developed a rapport with those patients over a number of years, and actually that's when um, it's, you know, there are often multiple different options as well, especially, for example, with a pancreatic neuroendocrine tumour. Uh, and and things like that and so that's when you do have and often you will have those discussions and and you'll see with IMDT outcomes sometimes it will be you know reviewing clinic to discuss treatment options rather than being didactic saying you should have this option I think the ones which are some and even surgery is an option it's not you know it may be a recommendation but it's obviously not us that are having it done to us and so therefore absolutely um, and I spoke to um, Dr Prakalias or Mr Prakalias about that the surgeon in your MDT and and he was saying you know I can present that Mm. but I do have to go through you know surgery is difficult and I really have to be very explicit about you know some of the pitfalls of surgery um, and some of the effects that might have on the person and, and ultimately it's about a quality of life decision really and that's Absolutely. Um, so I guess you know you're saying that that I suppose we're trying to move away from that sort of paternalistic mm. doctor behaviour, aren't we? You know, where you say, right, this is what you should have, dear. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think with necks, I think one usually for neck slightly different for necks, which are the higher grade, you may not have that same window for you know considering evaluating. There may be a shorter window to consider something definitive, but for the other nets especially the lower-grade nets, time is on your side and you can have, you know, discussions, reviews, re- you know, re-evaluations. They, they don't necessarily need to be made instantaneously in terms of um, with the same pressure that you do in, in some other tumour types. And so, um, and I think that's quite helpful, um, yeah. especially when, cause even considering, you know, surgery doesn't necessarily need to be rushed into um, a, lot, a lot of the time. So um, I think having that time to weigh things up and we do try and you know we really do try actively to get the patients engaged in that because obviously these are interventions that are happening to them Mm. Um, and so you need to they need to understand risk benefit and also the options available yeah no absolutely I mean I I think it's great that that's the way that we're moving forward and I think I think it's so important for our community that that happens Mm Um, you know, they need to be partners in their healthcare. You know, they're one team. Let's mm. do what we can together to get the best outcomes. Yes. 
Um, thank you so much for your time. Really, really grateful. Um, and thanks again for kind of letting me come to King's and um, letting me meet all the team and, and seeing what happens here. Um, it's it's going to be a great day. Thanks so much. happy. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to Not Just Any Cancer Series, wherever you listen to your podcast. And please do leave a review.